This is Remote Ruby. Have you any remote ideas to the meaning of the word? What is up? Sup. 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 On the last episode, or maybe not the last, the one before that, it was perfect because you just said sup and I said sup and Chris said sup. It was beautiful. I cried a little bit of a tear. How do you cry a little bit of a tear? It was a half a tear. You got full control over it. Yeah, I sucked it back in. <laughs> I think I can't tell if that's because you have like a terrible personality trait that you're able to do that or. Yes. It just makes him a good actor, you know? It's also the heat. It just kind of evaporates off my face. That's a better explanation. No, but it's really the first one. I was watching a show the other night and I was, it's not the first time I've thought this. If I had a counter cache of how many times I've thought about this, it would be like 150. <laughs> how can people just, like when they're acting, just cry? Is there a um, trick? They're skilled. How do well, you- I think there are stuff that they can put in their eyes. So like, you know, f- there's like fake tears and stuff like that. Okay. Like Mace. I think like really good actors <laughs> can right? just get themselves there. I tried this when I was in like high school. I would like try and think <laughs> about really sad things, try and make myself cry. Same, it just, honestly. It made me sad, but I couldn't cry. So it takes a lot for me to cry. And I can't think of the last time I've cried when it hasn't been death related. I can tell you. It was when yeah. you interviewed Apodia and you said, What templating language do you use? And we said ERB. Yeah, oh, that was, <laughs> I did cry. Sobbed. Uh, I mean, I also sobbed the other day when our guest, who we haven't introduced yet, and I encountered a Hamill file. And I was just like, the beauty, the elegance. Did you the, cry half a tear? It was a half a tear. Or a full ass tear. <laughs> no, it was a half a tear, unfortunately. Before we move on, speaking of shows, have you guys, the We Crashed show on Apple TV about the WeWork thing came out last oh. night, the first three episodes. Oh. So good. So good. Is it? It's so good. I saw you mention I didn't know what it was. There's a lot of shows like that right now. There's one on Showtime that I want to watch about Uber. It's the Travis K. I don't know remember what his last name is. The CEO. We've been watching The Dropout on Hulu, which is Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes, and it's been wonderful. I don't read a lot of books cover to cover, but the Bad Blood book on Theranos was one of the most like compelling books I've ever read. So this is a really good show. It's really in line with it. Nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah. That whole story is pretty wild. That sounds yeah. like a one I'll have to watch and read that book. So what is the WeWork one? It's about the whole WeWork thing. You know, they were valued at $47 billion. Is basically like no way they were actually worth $47 billion. I started to research a little bit because Jason, I hope you do the same thing. You know, you finish a show and then you're like, let me go research the yeah. entire history and lineage of these events and like these people. <laughs> Even yes. for fiction shows. Especially for fiction. But the guy got a billion dollar payout to walk away. That's insane. I don't know. It's just really interesting. Spoiler but, alert. I vaguely remember the WeWork story. I remember being in the news a bunch, but I guess I just, it wasn't. Maybe it's big as some of the other stories. Yeah. This isn't great publicity, I guess. But like the second I like finished the third episode, because Apple only releases like three or four episodes at the beginning and then it rolls out every week. I was like looking around at WeWorks near me. I'm like, I want to go here now. It looks so cool. Like in the first few episodes, I know it's going to go downhill, but like the first few episodes, I'm like, their relationship is goals. Number one. Number two, this looks like awesome. I know it's going to go downhill and I'm sure this is going to come back to bite me, but Jared Leto and Anne Hathaway are fantastic in it. So yeah, I recommend. Our last Pody retreat was in person in 2019. We did a WeWork in Brooklyn. Oh, that's where they started is in Manhattan. Really? Yeah. Well, oh, that was another thing they were doing. He personally was buying buildings and then WeWork was then using them. So he okay. was like a landlord of them. That's genius. And yes, also- it is genius. <laughs> It's absolutely uh, genius. But that's why when you said their valuation, I was like, I mean, if they own all these properties, like surely that's got to be worth a lot. But then if they actually just rent a ton of properties, then yes, it's like they're like just essentially a subleasing business. Exactly. That's yes. It's like McDonald's. <laughs> yep. Anyway. All right. Well, that might be one of the more derailed conversations we've had in a while. And I love it. 
And I can't wait to hear about the next three episodes of We What? We Exploded. We Crashed. Crash. I was close. So today we are joined by someone very special to Andrew and I, and soon to be very special to Chris. This is one of our coworkers from Podia, someone actually both Andrew and I have been working quite a bit with recently on a project. Our friend Seb. Seb, do you mind giving a quick introduction? Hi, everyone. I'm Sebastian Oriolt, and I'm a product developer at Podium. I've been a Ruby on the Rails developer for about five years now, and I'm currently living in Canada, soon to be moving to Japan in two months, which I'm really looking forward. That rules. The Japan move is so cool. If you're listening, you might also recognize Seb for the Saturday Ruby on Rails tips on Twitter. I don't think I've seen one get posted that doesn't have 121,000 likes. So there are always legitimately fire tweets and you did a really good job with those. So, How did you start that? Like before we get into like what we're going to get into, how did you start the Ruby tips? Just about a year ago, I decided like I wanted to... Actually, first it started with only like today I learned. So like when I learned something cool, I was just sharing it on Twitter. And then I realized like some people are like this type of tweets. And then I said, all right, I'm going to try to do one tip per week about a year ago. And I pretty much did that nonstop until now. I do skip some weeks, but that has been kind of the rule I was trying to do. I don't use Twitter for anything else. <laughs> pretty much except just those weekly tips that I send. That's the way. I don't use Twitter much anymore. It's just a cesspool at this point. We, you don't use Twitter that much anymore? I have a 15-minute lock per day on Twitter, and I do not go over it. You go ham in those 15 minutes someday. Some I do go ham. <laughs> but no, I just come on tweet and then exit. You're, I don't read anymore. You're a badass. All right, sorry. Continue. <laughs> well, the reason we asked up on the podcast today is to talk about his developer origin story. He's got an interesting one. And I think it's going to be beneficial for some of you out there looking to get jobs who are in junior positions. And I mean, he's at an amazing company working with two 10X devs right here. So we just want to get this information out there to y'all and uh, get his story out there. So Seb, where did you start? Sure. Well, I can say that the reason I actually started into web development and even looking for a bootcamp was when I did a trip to Japan and then I met like a freelance web developer that really like made me want to try that at home. So as soon as I came back to Canada, I went on the internet and tried to find an online bootcamp because I didn't want to go in person. I thought more simple from home and also living at my parents' home. That made it simple. So I found this bootcamp called Carrier Foundry, which is a German-based company, a Germany-based, but they're like, they have students all over the world. There's a lot of bootcamps stories. I went with this one just because that's one of the first that I found. I don't know if it's any better than the other ones, but like the wagon I often hear about, for example, for Ruby on Rails. But Carrier Foundry also introduced me to, to Ruby on Rails. And that's how I started, basically, that they showed me my past by introducing me first to HTML, CSS, Ruby, and then straight into Rails. I almost no Ruby, which... I think they could have pushed a bit more the Ruby part because I couldn't differentiate much the difference between Rails and Ruby at that point. It was great because there was a mentor, a tutor, and then a career specialist that they really like hold my hand the whole... It was a six months bootcamp. So during that six months, I really had all the help I needed or even other students to share my uh, homeworks with. And the difference also between a mentor and a tutor is was like the tutor would correct all my homework or guide me a bit through the course I had to do. And then the mentor was the more official one-on-ones that we had to review what I've been doing. How is it going? Uh, is there improvements I could do like on the way I write code or just that I approach learning new things? And then also the final exams, he would give me like a true review on that. Then finally, the last two months, there was also the career specialist at the same time that would help me on how to prepare my resume, show me how I could apply to jobs and doing some interview practices. And it wasn't the main gist of it. I just came up with this in my head. Would you say that the tutor 
helps you lead you to the water. The mentor helps you see the water and the career specialist takes you there. I don't know why I even said that. That was so stupid. <laughs> I refuse to let that be edited out. Um, <laughs> I don't think for maybe for what you said about tutor and mentor that works, the career specialist, I don't think like it helped too much on like my path or like what I had to do. Also, that's one of the things I wanted to mention is maybe the career specialist is not the one also that found the company that I first worked at. Their job was also to introduce me to companies, but I found that they didn't do that to a lot of companies, just one or two or something like that. And me, I, I didn't know it. And I applied on my side to many companies. Okay. I thought those were like recruiters almost, but it sounds like they're not. The curious wishes. They, yeah. But they're working for the bootcamp, like uh, as full-time employees. And they're okay. with you to like prepare you to get into your career. Gotcha. When people have said this in the past, I had always like envisioned the career specialist as basically like a recruiter that's like sending you to like different companies and stuff that like they know them, but it sounds like not. And not exactly. Yeah. But they had, yeah, a lot of processes on how to get ready for the, yeah, the interview and also how to have the best resume, which I think was too much, honestly, sometimes where like they stressed, I, I felt a bit too much stress for the interviews when, when I actually went there wasn't like asking me all the questions that they prepared me for most of the time because as a junior there's not much you could say about what you did in the past or things like that um so like what did you say so you didn't have rails experience at this point what were you kind of putting on your resume that's a great question and that's one thing that i learned kind of well at the beginning i think i didn't put in enough stuff because i really wanted to do only talk about side projects or things like that that I worked on that was programming related but at some point I realized that it's not only programming related things that we can put but anything that I did in the past that I think is worth mentioning for example I mentioned about my three months Japanese language course that I've done in Japan and that's actually got me in my second job like the employer that hired me he mentioned that one of the things that made my resume look more special than the others or like that catch his eye was the fact that I went to Japan to learn Japanese for three months but that had nothing to do with the job so yeah definitely if there's anything interesting you did even if it's just you traveled all over the world or you would travel to a couple of countries or other things like your passion that you did on the side I think it's so worth mentioning on, on your resume even if it doesn't have to do in the job directly yeah we get a lot of people who are like they want experience, but I have to get a job to get experience, but they won't give me a job without experience. And yeah, like you said, open source stuff is a great thing to put on there. And talking about side projects, that's one thing that could be good to talk about during this episode was how I managed to create a couple of side projects because that was one of the recommendations from the career specialist and my mentor was that I need to be able to show what I've been doing, but I didn't have that many ideas. I was trying to find like the perfect project, but it actually came out of just me playing games with friends and we needed a site for sharing our gears, our stats and to chat and everything. And I thought, well, that could be a nice site project idea. So I actually built that site uh, firm and I showed that on my resume. And uh, that's one thing also that uh, I think the employers liked looking at. They would go on my GitHub. That was public what I've done. So if you're a junior or if you're like I, how I was at that time and you don't have any professional experience to show, if you have any side project that you can put, that's definitely going to be a good thing to put. And the side project doesn't need to be anything serious. Like for me, it was games related, but like I saw some people was like an anime side, they would just list a bunch of animes that they were, they were watching with a status and progress or things like that. But like any hobby that you have other than programming, or it could be also programming related then on Ruby or anything that you have for a side project could be a great way to learn more while building the project and to show off in your resume to stand out a little bit more. Here's an existential question. Should you be working on side projects as a developer? I think ideally, no. But like actuality, yes. I mean, as in like as a way to further your understanding and to like get to this point. Because a lot of people 
like to say the thought leaders are like, you shouldn't work on stuff like out of your free time and like this and that. And you don't need side projects to be a successful developer. You don't need open source to be a successful developer. And that's true, but it will help you immensely to do so, especially if you're looking for a job. And as a junior, also when you don't have anything else to show, any professional experience, like it doesn't require you anything to start a side project and can be even really shitty code, but like as long as you, you actually write something. And but of course, when you do have your job already, then maybe it's less important yeah, to have a side project and kind of up to preference if you're passionate enough about programming that you want to spend time on that in your free time too. But that's not for everyone, obviously. Did you find the mentor or the tutor more helpful? Definitely the, the mentor. The tutor would just quickly correct my exercises and maybe answer some technical questions I had. But the mentor was really the one like talking me like how it is to actually be a real developer, like doing working on real projects, product, uh, production. He would tell me how it went for him as a junior or he would share with me his experience. And also if, a little bit on the resume side, he would help me too and, and really be there to guide me. And she, like it was a at-home bootcamp, so could feel a bit like I'm by myself too. But thanks to the mentor, I, I felt like I had someone guiding me kind of and motivating me to like improve my code and not just blindly do all the exercises and think what I've been doing. Yeah, I feel like that's like, the crucial missing component of university right now because like my brother's in computer science school right now and i've been helping him and like his teacher in what you're describing is very much like the tutor like they answer like your questions technical questions and they grade their assignments but like they're not there to like teach them like it seems like they're not teaching them how to like think about the program think about how programs are structured and like ways to like decide logic and this is how you do this better and stuff like that so that's interesting that the boot camps do provide that because I found mentorship incredibly helpful over my career. What next? On my list of things, I thought we could talk about the next one was like how to actually apply to jobs because it's good you have your boot camp, you have your resume ready, but then how you actually find the companies or like what company should you apply to. That was one thing yeah, really stressing me out again because I don't know if it's all like that everywhere, but where I was living at the time and when I was looking at the job offers, everything was asking at least three years of experience and they never write like junior in the job title. So what I did is I just applied everywhere. <laughs> like my career specialist would recommend me to always write a kind of custom resume for each company that I would, that I wanted to apply to. Honestly, I did that only maybe 5% or something of the company that I applied to because I just wanted to get my first job in. After that, once you get your first experience, I think there you can take more time maybe to choose the right company and things like that. But as someone with no experience, I didn't care about the salary. I didn't care about anything. Just find me the job too, so I can get started. So I, obviously if there was one company that was matching my profile and asking for a junior that I thought like really like could work with or like I really want to work for it with this company, then I would put more efforts in it and maybe change my resume a little bit or the cover letter. Uh, but most of the time it was just copy paste applying everywhere and until I got my first job. And that would be one of my recommendations if you did not get discouraged by the requirements. Even the first ever job that I worked at, there was a five years requirement, right? A five years minimum of Rails experience. And they had like this giant list of all the technologies that you should know. And I just knew Ruby on Rails. <laughs> and, but they still gave me the chance to start. And I worked one year there. So that's, that's my advice. How many uh, applications do you think you submitted? I don't know. Maybe at the beginning, I started slow, but maybe at least 50 companies, if not more, there, there was, especially when it's on LinkedIn, it was really easy to like just set, like, click the apply button that would just submit my LinkedIn profile. That was my favorite way to apply. So maybe even more than 50, like 60 or something. And I knew one, maybe in about one month after the bootcamp and I found my job. I'm curious because I had a similar experience where I didn't go through a bootcamp. 
I felt like I had the skill to do it, but no job history. And there weren't junior jobs except for Shopify had like kind of an apprentice program. I don't remember the name of it back then. So I did a similar thing. And I'm curious if you sent like 50 resumes, maybe how many of those do you think you actually heard back from? There were really few. I think most of them, they would ignore my application. Anyone, even some companies I would spend a lot of time on my cover letter and the resume to match more. Uh, description, they would often not reply to me. I don't know if it's like that everywhere, but where I applied, it was like that most of the time. I think that's like a really important part for anyone trying this method is the to not be discouraged by the lack of response because it is part of the methodology. There's not many people hiring juniors, so you're taking a risk by just like applying for a job that maybe maybe you're not qualified for, but maybe you are. But like the bright side is there will be some that do respond. Likely there will be some that respond with the right job. We can talk about this more, but I feel like it's a lot different. Once you get that first job and you get your foot in the door somewhere that you can put on your resume, then the process gets a lot easier. Was that kind of your experience? Definitely. Yeah. As soon as I got my first job and then the recruiters would start contacting me on LinkedIn. And then I felt that I had a lot more options and then my second job and onwards, I never had to apply to that many companies. It was just the first, I think, for the, for the first job. And also you mentioned about like failing when they don't uh, to reply back. The one thing also that was making me worried is that if I apply to a company that I really want and they don't answer me or I fail to get to the interview and I thought that I cannot apply to that company again. And that was scaring me because I'm like, if I apply to Shopify, for example, and then they never want to give me another chance because I applied when I didn't have experience. But I think I was wrong there in that companies, even they would tell me when I would ask, this doesn't cost anything that I can try again later. They're not just going to ignore your future applications. They're sad to, to not be afraid to apply and then try again in a couple of months. Of course, don't try like you know, one week later or something, but a couple of months or something, you can try again and see what they think. Especially if they tell you the reason is because you don't have enough experience. That can obviously change. One of the jobs I was pretty certain I was going to get, they were like, you're a good cultural fit, but you don't have quite the experience we need. And it's like, okay, well, that sucks to hear, but that's at least something I know if I wanted to, like three or four years later, I could probably come back and get that job. Yeah, I've been told that too, which feels nice later in the moment and you're like right it's only been four years now that i can finally process that feeling and be like oh that's a good thing shout out therapy so how long were you at your first job the first first job it was only four months unfortunately they had to let me go because they were not ready for a junior well, at least that's what they told me and i don't think i well i wasn't good at all and i they didn't have anyone assigned to me to help me through the beginning too, or introduce me to the project. Like I only had like once per week, I could talk with someone kind of thing as a junior that felt, well, I was stressed all the time and I felt I couldn't do anything. I think a really bad experience for the first company that I've got, but the second one, though, it was the best experience that I've ever had because even though it was a smaller company, but the, I had a senior with me, um, that would answer any question that I have, um, that would kind of handhold me into the application. And I learned so much from him. I'm so thankful to him. And there I, I stayed a bit more than one year. Is that something that you think you can tease out in questions during the interviews so that maybe, you know, if you're going for your first job, maybe you have some questions that can kind of tease out like, do they have a process for hiring juniors and onboarding them? I think that could be a good idea to ask. But on the other hand, I don't know if I would have the courage to ask that for my first job since I really want it. And I don't want to look picky or anything. <laughs> but if you have time, if you're not in a hurry to find your first job, definitely I think that could be, that would be worth asking uh, to know if they have the resources or if. If you're their first junior, also, that's a good indicator. I was their first junior ever that they were trying to 
get into the company. Uh, so that can be uh, something that um, makes you wonder if they're ready to get a junior. Brings me back to a lot of conversations we've had on this podcast about companies don't hire juniors enough, but some companies shouldn't hire them because they're not in a position to manage them, not in a position to set them up to succeed. Yeah, and it's just a disaster. And that can really discourage someone right out of the gate, especially a junior. So if you're at a company that's like, oh, we should hire juniors and you have absolutely no onboarding process, number one, why have you no onboarding process? Number two, it's like you need to think about how can we set up our junior to succeed? How are there some ways that your second job that they did set you up to succeed? Well, first, assigning me someone, that was the number one thing I think that helped that I didn't feel uh, any pressure to ask questions any time of the day, like we were on the same schedule. Um, And also when they would give me a task, uh, it was not coming from the boss directly. Also, it was coming from the senior and that would explain the tasks in detail or even have a call with me and introduce me part of the application that I would be working on. I have all things that the first company I worked at didn't do. <laughs> they assumed that I would kind of learn by myself. And uh, maybe some people were able to do, I wasn't able to do that. There's a big difference between we want you to like learn some stuff on yourself and another between all the context and business logic in this application, we just expect you to figure out on your own. That makes zero sense. There's like definitely I expect a junior to learn on their own, but not the business logic. As an intermediate and more developer, maybe you can be expected to figure out things more. Uh, but especially as a junior, it's that when everything is new to you, not only the business logic, but even the Ruby and, and Rails code, I think yeah, that's even more important there. Do you need webhooks in your application and wish your webhooks were as intuitive as Stripe's? It's a lot more than just sending a JSON payload to your customer's URL. Hook Relay to the rescue. It handles both inbound and outbound webhooks for your application. It records what was sent or received so you and your customers can diagnose when things go wrong. Speaking of things going wrong, webhooks are automatically retried with exponential backoff so you're not overwhelming the receiving servers. No matter what happens, you'll have the peace of mind that your webhooks will be delivered. With Hook Relay, you get to save time while also having powerful, scalable webhook processing that the experts maintain for you. Go to hookrelay.dev to get started and check webhooks off your to-do list. So you stayed at that company for a year. And did they do anything else that really like is solidified that they gave you that great junior experience? Very supportive. I felt my work. I appreciate it. But I think that's maybe not only a junior thing, though. I think any level that people always like that their work is appreciated. Also, my senior was actually remote. So like all my team was at the same office that I was, except my senior that the one that really helped me was in remote. So I, I think even if it's a remote job, that shouldn't prevent the company from being able to give good support to a new junior getting in the company. Other things maybe that did help me. Well, I didn't feel pressure on time or maybe that's not like that on all the companies. When Maybe if you're working with clients, for example, like working for an agency might be a bit difficult on that when they charge a client for your time. But it was a product company at this one. So I didn't have hard limits on tasks that I needed to do. So I had time to learn the code, learn the business logic, and then start writing code, uh, having a lot of time also. I can help. What was your like path to Podia then? So you stayed at that company for like a year or so, right? You said? Yes. I had the first company for four months after the one year company. And then I kind of started getting greedy, I think, from this moment where like I felt like I had the experience to choose a company that do more what I want to work on. So then I was looking at other jobs and so I found another company that was promising, well, higher salary is one thing, but there was the the fact that it was a bigger team. I thought that I could get more experience because it was one year I worked with the same people and this mainly with even one person on the back end. Uh, so I kind of started feeling bored and like nothing new to learn uh, there. Uh, so moving at another company. That helped. The next company was 
again for one year, but it was not with Rails, which was, I think, a mistake. Or <laughs> I really missed the, the Ruby community and all the podcasts I was listening to. Because of that, then I came back to Ruby on Rails. And maybe it was eight months, actually, not exactly one year. And but after that, I started working for a, an agency for one year. And uh, Ruby on Rails, uh, I was glad, glad to be in that world. But after one year at this agency, I was getting tired of client work that you cannot really control how the project goes. And also quick projects where we didn't have time to write tests or like to really put attention kind of the project, kind of like you're building something that you can take care of and like get it to late stages when you have to start caring about performance and things like that. It wasn't like that. And, uh, and some clients are not always easy and you need like to track every single thing that you're doing. So after working in both for product and agency, and um, I was convinced that I wanted to work for a product company. And so then after that, when I heard about Podais hiring on the remote Ruby podcast, I was like, I need to work there. And also, I mean, I knew Jason from the podcast, Andrea on Twitter and even Jamie also was a detective on Twitter and I saw his blog post talking about the Pazza culture and that really tempted me. <laughs> so I applied at Pazza and then here I am one year and a couple of months later and it's been that I'm working at Pazza and I couldn't be happier. I think it's the first job that I never looked at other companies. Now I'm, I feel really happy at Pazza and that and I don't see myself working anywhere else. Good, because we've been pairing together every day for like the past month. And if you leave, I'm going to have separation anxiety. Well, in two months with the different time zone, I'll be in. That's going to be more tough though. <laughs> yeah, but you'll still be there. It'll be okay. I, I can work <laughs> through that, that pain. To kind of reel it back a little bit to boot camps, it's 2022. I know God help us all. But would you suggest someone pursue a boot camp right now if they're like, I want to be a developer like you? If they don't know what path exactly they want to do, 100%. And even if they know that they want to go with Rails, for example, I still think it's really nice to have people to share your progress with, get some help, because that takes a lot of motivation, I think, to start by yourself. And for me, the bootcamp gave me that motivation. I think that the content that they teach is not the most important part, because I was spending time even like outside of the course to learn about Ruby and, and Rails things. But really having that structure and motivation, I would 100% recommend it. But on the other hand, my wife, actually, she started learning by herself about a year ago. And she now works as a full-time developer, Rails developer. And so I don't think you always need it. If you do have some connections or if you have a forum or even Reddit, anything that you know you can ask questions to and you know what you have to learn. I think it's also highly possible to do that all by yourself. Knowing what to focus on is always a hard problem. Yes, yes. That, that's one thing you know, I wanted to talk about. That One thing I think that really slowed me down at the beginning is that I was always looking at the most popular programming languages or like I wanted to work on the best framework and always thinking that what I was working on is not the most popular thing and that it would be all waste. So, but I think, uh, yeah, I was wrong on that. And as soon as I like focused on one path, which also the bootcamp helped me on that, yeah, my motivation came up. I felt more like a real developer, kind of. I felt more confident in what I was doing. And uh, so, yeah, having a path of what you want to learn, not only like Ruby and Rails, but also like knowing like, uh, the database that you have to learn database, Git, terminal, all these things really helps instead of going by yourself and then learning random things that you heard about Revit Rails could be more tough. Are there any like specific advice you'd give someone who like to get the most out of the bootcamp? Say they're in a bootcamp. We have a ton of listeners who are already in a bootcamp. How can they get more out of it? The number one advice would be not to follow everything. <laughs> I don't know about the other bootcamps, but like the career specialist, I wouldn't put all my trust in them to find your job. 
unless the other boot camps they have a better process or something. But for me, that was the part that I had to do on my side to apply to companies and for my resume. Another thing is if the course content is kind of boring, at least me, I thought it was an always fun project to work on. And so I, to keep my motivation up, I also had my side project for the game site or things like that, that would give me more motivations. Like I would learn things at the bootcamp and then try to apply that in my side project. Similar to what I said earlier, if you do have a side project idea, that can be beneficial. Since your wife writes Ruby, would you say that Ruby is your love language? <laughs> I can say that, yes. <laughs> but I did push her to do Ruby. Like we, she had to find a path also. So I gave her the path. Like she got to learn Ruby. I don't want her to be Chris and, I, and his wife do that, like competition on different programming languages. Well, at least like if she asked me for help it, and it was like in React or something, I, I would be like, ah, maybe later or something. <laughs> but the Ruby part was nice. <laughs> the nice part about being a developer already and helping someone new is like, I can go into a language that I've never seen before and sometimes help people who are brand new. Because a lot of times it's like logic or I can like at least know like, okay, well, you need to like use some sort of math function here. How does this library do that? I've been helping my brother with Java. I wrote Java in the past. I don't remember any Java, but I've still been able to help him a lot just by being like, okay, well, I know we need to write the algorithm, right? I can do that and help. And then he can maybe know the syntax specifically. Yeah, that's for sure. And yeah. once you learn like one programming language, even if it's another programming language, you recognize the patterns or even the framework, if it's MVC, framework or even like I mentioned that when I worked at the agency it was Python and Django I never worked with Python and Django ever before getting that job just because they saw I was working with Ruby and Rails they gave me chance and I just learned on the spot and I could recognize all the similar patterns with Rails that made it a lot faster to learn I think I'm not saying I couldn't have helped my wife if she chose another programming language it's more fun for me if it's something I I'm passionate about <laughs> you're not saying you couldn't, you're just saying you wouldn't have. Maybe. <laughs> the fact that she did choose Ruby means that you guys get to like potentially work on stuff, right? Yes. Is that a, a segment to the yeah. side project that I'm working on? I just jumped on a segue. I don't know. The listeners couldn't see it, but it came out of nowhere and I jumped on it. <laughs> bet. Bet. Bet, bet, bet. Tell us about it. I've been working on a side project called... Ruby Companion. Uh, now it's been a couple of months, maybe six months or more. I keep rebuilding it. That's one thing that I think wasted a lot of time. There's new stuff coming with Rails 7 and things like that. And I always want to be on the most edge things. But this project is for Ruby and Rails developers, which is basically kind of a flashcard system to help you discover and remember Ruby and Rails stuff. The goal is that you log in on Ruby Companion every day, just for five minutes. You do your reviews, you choose a new lesson. Right now there's mainly Rails content, uh, but the goal is to have other courses on more Ruby general things. You then choose a lesson on what you're interested about, for example, model validations. And then each lesson has five flashcards. It's gonna ask you to review. And you do those flash flashcards and then you're done for the day. And then until the next day, you're again, repeat into your reviews, choose your lesson. And then there's a public profile that you can see your streak, uh, see what you've done, some stats can share with others. So there's a bit of community aspect of it too, that can be fun. And uh, it's currently in closed beta. Um, can maybe put the link in the description, but you're not going to be able to subscribe yet because I'm not sure if there's still bugs left or anything. I want to make sure everything is good until I open it to everyone and see what they think about. Nice. And I've been doing it. You let me into the beta because I'm special, right? <laughs> and I love it. I've learned a bunch of stuff, especially the space repetition system you built into it is like really helping me to like remember stuff that like, oh, I would normally have to go look at the Rails docs for this. 
I think it was Gary Bernhardt who said like, there's nothing wrong with having to do that, but you can code so much faster if you don't. I'm excited to like continue using this so that I don't feel like I can keep a lot more stuff in my memory. Thanks. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. The goal of Ruby company is not to like teach programming per se, or like how to build an application. It's really all the cool tricks that Ruby and, and Rails can do, but yet you just never heard about it. And also this idea came from my weekly tips that I've been doing for a while where I saw even senior devs and that didn't know some things that Rails could do. And they're like, that's cool. And why did I not know that before? So that's kind of the goal of Ruby Company and to make sure you stay up to date with the new Rails and Ruby stuff coming in and remember them. So when do you think it's going to be released, released? Uh, if it continues like that uh, and we don't really find bugs so far, all the People that have been testing it in tools beta didn't report any bug. I have some like improvements or new features that I, I want to work on, but maybe in two months or something like that, or one or two months, I could open it to everyone. Sounds like you could use Honey Badger to help you catch some of those bugs. I am using Honey Badger. <laughs> hey, that's what we like to hear. Cool. Well, is there anything else you wanted to cover? If we still have time, I had something on the networking part a little bit to mention. I thought when you're applying to new jobs, it's nice to have some connections. If there's a company that you want to work at and you know someone is working there, that can definitely help. But that's not an easy thing to do, though. Like the career specialist would tell me, like, you need to go on LinkedIn and like connect to with everyone and like trying to talk to people. And I wasn't great at that. But like being active in, in Twitter, LinkedIn, meetups, like online meetups, so need to be in person. Uh, if you have time for that, that can definitely help, I think, discovering job offers that are not necessarily open or just making you more visible to the other applicants. I have never once benefited from that, unfortunately. No one I've met on Twitter has ever gotten me a job. I'm saying that as a joke because almost every single job I've had is because of Twitter. So yeah, I would hard plus one that to like find ways to network even when there is no network in your immediate area. And you could start doing tips like Seb does, right? <laughs> the worst is when it's like someone who you can tell is being like forced by their boot camp to like interact with people and it's just like an empty response. So I will say if you are going to do this, be genuine. It's very obvious when it's not. Like don't just go ask directly a question on DM on, DM on Twitter. They're most likely not Kind of want to answer that. Maybe first getting to know them or talking to them and things like that can help first. Also, the career specialist, yeah, like you said, Andrew would would say that we should send messages to everyone almost or just get as many connections as possible on LinkedIn. I don't think that's a great way of approaching it. I now, have a LinkedIn for several years. I got the job at Podium. I was like, I don't need this. But then I had to be on the other side where I interviewed people. So I set one up, but I don't use it. But like, I've met so many people on Twitter. Usually the way people get my attention on Twitter is you're just around. There's people I follow just because I see them around often. And I'm like, oh, I just want to start following them. And then all of a sudden they become kind of your friends. And then they join your podcast. And then you try and get them a job at Podia. And then they get a job at Podia. And then you ruin their life. But other than that, that's the extreme example. I won't ruin your life. I just want to hang out with you. I'm so scared but, right now. We're but that's just like, that's people just being active or like responding to met. Like it could be liking tweets. It could be just like responding. I'm more inclined if somebody has a question, if I already have kind of a rhythm with them to want to hop on and help versus like, I want to help everyone, but I don't have time to just like slide into my DMs and be like, oh, here, let's debug this really hard issue together. Yeah. I think Connor Rogers does an amazing job of this. He's just always there, right? You can always see his face. And like, I see him in like in tweets. I'm like, yo, Connor, I didn't know you were like in this community too. I'm like, he's over here. Yeah. Someone else's tweet. And I'm like, that's the way to do it is to like engage with them, not in DMs. Because if you DM me, it's a chore. Sorry, people who DM me. I love you. Maybe. But if you just engage with them, interact with them, show enthusiasm for whatever they're talking about, 
if you're going to ask questions, ask questions related to the tweet. If I'm tweeting about something in Rails, ask questions about that because that's going back to what Jason said about the rhythm. At that moment, I'm totally willing to answer questions. But if you just hit me out of nowhere with like, how do I make a turbo stream? I'm going to send you a doc link and block you. <laughs> Maybe not block you. Probably not block you, but so that, I went from really kind to really not. Here's a helpful hint and my middle finger. <laughs> the beginning of this episode, please. this is this is me. I'm, I'm deep and dark, but there's a way to approach people, right? And when it's forced, it's obvious. So if you just kind of slowly build that connection, networking takes a lot of time. And I know when you're in the boot camp, you don't feel like you have a lot of time. Focus less on networking, more on building relationships. I think this is something Colin does really well as well, where I, uh, at the beginning, was like, dude, just start replying to people's tweets and like just giving him like the same load of advice I give to other people. And he's like, I want it to be like natural and like a real connection. I want to like make friends like doing this. I want to build connections like that, not just like empty, oh, this is really cool. And I think that is the mindset you really have to have. Yeah, Colin's a good example. He and I got to finally like meet in person at RubyConf, but I feel like I already knew Colin. We haven't really talked since RubyConf. And I was like, I miss Colin. And so like we got on a call last week and we didn't talk about anything programming related. I talked maybe about, hey, like it's badass you work for Chris now. But other than that, like we talked about drums and like audio engineering and Louisiana. They're real relationships. Those are also the ones like I value the most. Is there any other advice? Thinking about somebody who maybe has zero programming experience versus somebody who has a little bit, if there's any differences on how you might have give advice for those people who start from nothing and like don't even know how to write any code or even think about it versus somebody who is like, ah, you know some code, would you send them to a boot camp? If they have the time for the boot camp, even if they already have a bit of experience or they have like personal experience, but not necessarily professional experience. Any time in the bootcamp can still be helpful. Yeah, that's pretty much what I was thinking. If you've got some experience, you could probably, like we were talking about earlier, like translating the concepts between different frameworks or languages is not as in-depth of a thing. You can do that much easier, kind of like learning other languages to some extent. It can be very different, but you kind of know how to put sentences together and the same applies to programming languages. Would you recommend yeah. any resources for people wanting to learn Rails on their own, like GoRails.com, use the coupon code Remote Ruby is Life for a 5% discount? I'll have to set that up. <laughs> Chris has to go and just back in now. No. <laughs> Set it up to, it's like a negative 5% discount. People like <laughs> One thing I will say with the bootcamp though is just remember at the end of the day, their bottom line relies on you getting a job and it may not be the job you want. So like Seb was saying, if you already know how to program, you probably will be more successful learning Rails on your own because at the end of the day, a lot of bootcamps are probably, if you're having a hard time finding a job in Rails, and I know someone this personally happened to, they're like, stop looking for Rails jobs, find a React job. So you got to keep that in mind that they are trying to push you because their income depends on it. And you need to like stand up at that point and be like, no, I'm, I don't want to write React. I want to write Rails and you need to help me find a Rails job. Or just keeping that in mind that at the end of the day, they will be pushing you to get a job, not maybe necessarily to get a Rails job. I think that's a good point that the first job doesn't necessarily need to be exactly on what you want to work on. If you just want to get that experience and that better looking resume for your next company. Or you might actually like that first company and then stay there. You never know. That is absolutely true. My first job was a WordPress job, even though I was seeking Rails jobs. Like when I say I was applying for other jobs, there's a local agency that's like, hey, we need a WordPress developer and you can start next week. And I was like, Great. I learned a lot of that job, even though it wasn't specific to Rails. Six months later, I got my first Rails job. And I still, to this day, like do some like, not actually coding, but like some consulting work for that company. Because I don't know, it was a good job and it 
paved a lot of roads for me. Sorry, I'm derailing us. We should also do another trivia episode. I was thinking about that the other day. I asked Chris like the most unfair questions, but I had so much fun. We should do that again. I love that was one of my favorite memory yeah. episodes. The fact that he knew most of them is what pissed me off. <laughs> The tricky ones were the ones I got off Wikipedia, which were like, what, what did Matt want to call Ruby before he called it Ruby? Like, no one knows that. All right. But if we do it, can I be the announcer? Because it's kind of unfair if I have to go against Chris. We need some high stakes thing involved. We should bring someone else on to answer the questions. Ah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, so if just interrogate them. If you're listening and you're up to the challenge, DM Andrew because he loves DMs. They're not a chore. No, they're not. I I love them. If you can fit into his 15 minute Twitter schedule, yeah, in. yeah. And if you're interested in this type of episode, let us know. Tweet us. Oh, you know what? So we haven't done in about 120 episodes. We could actually use some. Uh, Ratings and reviews on iTunes. We could use some ratings and reviews on iTunes. Yeah. Hey, yeah. you listening right now. I know you're on an app. I know it has a button. I hit the button, please. It really helps us. It helps us like keep the show going. So please do it. It does matter to us. And if you do it and let us know, we will thank you greatly. And it will be very appreciative. Well, thank you publicly. Yeah, we will thank you publicly. Actually, if you, if you DM us, this is what we'll do. If you DM Chris. No, no, actually not Chris. He's too good. <laughs> DM Jason. My DMs are open. Let's go. Yeah. DM Jason, if you leave us a review and we'll shout you out on the next episode. We'll do a, a whole segment on it. Yeah. Also, I had an idea. I'm just like using the end of this episode to project plan our podcast. I felt 250 questions to ask someone you want to get to know very personally that I'm just going to start asking you at the beginning <laughs> of our podcast. Let's do it. It's going to get so dark so quick. I'm so ready for that episode. All right. To re-rail us, to get us back on the rails. Seb, where can people find you online? Uh, Twitter at Webset Devs thing or on LinkedIn, but most likely Twitter. Webseb Dev. I always get that confused because when I go to tag you on PR reviews, I type Web Dev Seb and I'm like, where is he? Amazing. And don't forget rubycompanion.dev. Get on the the email newsletter list and get notified when it releases because it's awesome. And if you miss out, it's going to suck for you. So, cool. Well, talk to you guys. Jason, I'll see you next week. Yeah. Oh, fun fact. The last episode that aired, we said, oh, by the time it comes out, I should have given my talk. But it turns out my talk is the very last talk at Centennial. So... I laughed. I sent a picture of it to Jason and I was like, ooh, sucks to suck. I was at church and I cussed real loud in the middle of service. Oof. That really happened. I mean, I was at bet. church, but I didn't cuss bet. out loud. <laughs> oh, from bed. So you <laughs> were on your phone in church? No. I got it on my watch. Oh. There 21st century. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Goodbye. Yeah, oh, and thanks uh, for coming on. 